All right, so uh, I want to tell you this, and it's going to sound strange, but Christianity is absolutely ridiculous. Thank you. There's Joe. Okay, and here's what, no one should believe it, and the re, but the reality is no one should believe it true, but the reality is that people all over the world be, not only believe it to be true, but are willing to die for other people to discover the truth of it. And on the surface, we should absolutely dismiss Christianity as this crazy hoax, because here's, the, here's what it's claiming. It's claiming that God himself has come into the world, but not only did he come into the world, he came into the world in disguise. He put his glory aside, and then he comes into the world, and he starts insulting us. And he says, you guys are a bunch of sinners, and you are enemies of God. But then he goes to the cross and dies for his enemies, not because they are worthy, but to make them worthy. And then he rises from the grave, and he hangs out on the earth for 40 days. And then he ascends into heaven. And he's ruling and reigning now from heaven. But he promises that one day he's going to return and make all things right. He's going to bring heaven with him and make everything absolutely the way it's supposed to be. Now, what in the world are we doing believing this? The odds are against Christianity becoming anything more than a speck in history of some crazy man claiming to be God, yet somehow here we are watching it be the greatest movement the world has ever known, and people believe it not because people are forcing people to believe this, not by pe people taking people by force and saying you have to believe this, but by people persuading others out of love to convince them that this is really true. How is this happening? Here's how. Because the Holy Spirit, this is, the Holy Spirit's whole job is to come and convince us of something we would never to believe to be true on our own. Not one of us in this room should believe in the insanity of Christianity unless God reveals Unless God bends our minds and our desires to believe it to, to be true, that despite everything, it really, really, really is true. Now, so I want you to know this, that if you are a Christian, you are very weird. You are weird, weird, weird. But at the same time, you know that it's this beautiful truth and nothing else makes more sense than it. The only reason, though, that you're able to believe this to be true is because God has opened your eyes to the truth of something that seems impossible. And if you are skeptical of Christianity, I want you to know that I agree with you that Christianity is unbelievable. Yet, at the same time, despite all my skeptical tendencies, I believe it to be the truth. And that's my prayer today, is that we would discover either for the first time or we would rediscover, go deeper into the depths of the truth of Christianity. And that's what Christianity does. I mean, there's the depths of the riches and the knowledge, the glory of God. It, goes, it takes us deeper and deeper and deeper. We can never get tired of looking into the beauties of who God is. So we're in John 18. 
verses, overall, we're going to look at today's verse 37 and 38. We actually looked at them this last week, last week, but now we're going to focus in on something. It's the truth. So here's what, here's what it says. Then Pilate said to him, who is Jesus, so Pilate said to Jesus, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Well, for this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So Jesus says to Pilate, I have come to bear witness to the truth. It's not him coming to bear witness to a truth. He's coming to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate's response is, what is truth? And he walks away before Jesus even has a chance to explain to him the greatest truth that Pilate ever would have known that would have changed him forever. He dismisses it and simply walks away. Now, I want you to know this. Pilate is a voice for our culture today. Today, it is vogue, it is popular, it's wise even to say there is no such thing as the truth. And the great debate in our culture today is this, is there an absolute truth? Is there a the truth? So what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be an absolute truth? What does it mean that something is the truth? It means that it is something that is true no matter what, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you want to believe, it simply is truth. It is the truth. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you an example of the way our culture wants to come up against this idea of there being a the truth or an absolute truth. There's a bumper sticker that you've probably seen anywhere, everywhere, and some of you might have this. And if, if you have this, I mean, no offense by this at all. I'm just, I just want to talk about it. So there's a bumper sticker that says on it, coexist. And what it, what, it is say, what it is attempting to say is all, all re religions are essentially leading to the same place. And so here's what it's done. It's, got a, it's a symbol of every single, essentially every single world religion that there is. And, and it's a creative expression of what our culture believes. And what it's trying to convince us of is this. And I just want to challenge it for a second. But what it's trying to convince us of is this. Truth is what is good for you. Or... All religions lead to the same God. Or you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe and we can both be right in our own way. It's very poetic and it sounds very good, but here's the problem with this thinking. I just want to challenge it. It's saying that there is no such thing as an absolute truth while at the same time making an absolute truth claim. It's saying there's no such thing as the truth. All of these could be true. There's no such thing as the truth. There's no such thing as the truth while saying this is the truth. There is no such thing as the truth. Saying it at the same time. So let me show you what I mean. I had a friend uh, years ago. He no longer lives in town here, but years ago we had a Bible study at our house. Every week he'd come. And every week at some point he just kind of dismissed everything. And I was trying to figure out what's going on. And so finally I said, hey, man, like, what's the deal? And he, says, and he said, well, I don't know if we could say for sure anything about anything. I don't know if we could be absolutely sure about anything. And so the conversation kind of continued on. And I said, are you saying, you, I think what you're saying is there's no such thing as absolute truth. 
And he said, yes, that's what I'm saying. And I said, are you absolutely sure there's no such thing as absolute truth? And he says, yes, I am absolutely sure there is no such thing as absolute truth. And I said, do you realize what you just did? He said, you just said there is no absolute truth, and you're absolutely sure that there's no absolute truth. So you just made an absolute truth claim that there is no absolute truth. You just said there is no the truth, but you said the truth is there is no the truth. And then he kind of was like, oh, man, okay, fine, you got me. And, you know, we kind of had some joking conversations from there. But the point is, there's something that is the truth. The question is, what will you call it? Let me show, I want to show you the repercussions of this kind of thinking. To say that, you know what, we're going to bend truth. We're going to, truth is changing. Truth is shifting. Truth is relative. I want to show you the repercussions of this. So if truth is changing and shifting, you know one of the most important parts about being a friend to someone? is trust. Trusting someone. Relationships require trust. So if, if, you're, if, you, if you're married and your spouse is just kind of like, you know what, eh, right now it works really well for me, for us to be together, but at some point that could change at any moment. What, for any reason that I want it to be, it could change. Or if you have a friend, anything, anything you want to change, you can change it in that moment. Or let's just think, I mean, relationships can't flourish that way. Or if you say, okay, let's just think about morality. Let's think about right and wrong. If truth is constantly shifting and changing, and each person is discovering truth for themselves and what that truth is, then that, here's what that means. If someone says, I, I want to kill somebody, and the truth is for me that this is the right thing to do, they have every right to do that because that is the truth for them. If truth is shifting and changing and it's depending on each person. Or if you had a friend and you said, uh, you know what, I really got to tell you something. It's really important. I got to tell you this, um, but you can't tell anybody about this. And this is really personal, so please don't tell anybody. And you tell this friend and then the friend goes and says, blah, 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 and tells everybody about it. Well, they had every right to do that if truth is shifting, if truth is changing, if truth is bent. If truth can be bent, they have every right to determine what truth is for them. And for them, the right truth was to simply do what they just did. Relationships can't flourish that way. And what Pilate is saying here is no one can know the truth. He's absolutely sure that no one can know the truth. But he just said the truth is no one can know the truth and it doesn't work. It crumbles in on itself. And look, I understand we want to say that all religions are going to lead to the same God and to the same place because there are people that we love who believe things differently than you. But, but, all religions can't be right because each religion in some way is claiming to have an absolute. In fact, to say that all religions are right is a religious belief. What happens is a lot of people get upset. They say, how could you be so arrogant as to say that your religion is right, that you have found the truth? Now, I want you to see what, they're do what, what, what that statement is doing. It's taking the idea of coexist, and what it's doing is the person who's saying this 
How could you be so arrogant? They're standing above all other religions and saying, how can you say you know the truth while saying that they've got the truth and they're right above all other religions and what all other religions are saying? They're, in a sense, being just as arrogant as the people that they are saying are being arrogant because they're saying, listen, I'm above you. I've got the truth figured out. Let me tell you what it is. See, they're doing the very thing that they're telling you not to do if you say, yes, there's an absolute truth. And one of the things we ought to be asking, we've got to ask this question. One of the things we ought to be asking is this. It, the, the, the question isn't, is it a bad thing for us to hold strongly to our beliefs? The question is, if you hold strongly to a set of beliefs, where does that set of beliefs lead to? What does that set of beliefs produce? So there's something that you've got to know this. There's something absolutely unique to Christianity that all other religions don't have. Because here's what Christianity is doing versus all other religions. All other religions are saying, we need to escape from this world. We need to get out of here. We need to figure out how to get, get out of this world. Or they're saying God is in everything and we kind of melt into everything. But what Christianity is saying is Christianity is saying there is something that's wrong with the world. But God's come to rescue us up out of it. But he's also resurrecting the world around us and he's resurrecting us and therefore he's calling us to join him in rebuilding this world that we are in one day he will come and make all things right but until then we're called to help bring his kingdom we take part in that we take part in seeking the re restoration of this world even now and here's what that means christianity you look at history christianity produces the most flourishing for a society out of any other religion if the church is actually being the church, and it's, the church is holding tightly on to what Scripture is saying. It produces the most flourishing of any society. History is showing that over and over and over again. And by the way, if you say, well, what if we just got rid of all religion? I mean, maybe that would be the answer. Well, problem is history shows that that just really produces a, a society where the poor are constantly being oppressed. The question isn't, is there an absolute truth? The question is, what is the truth and what does it produce? And, and also, there's also something you've got to understand. And listen, I know right now, like, we're talking about truth, and truth's kind of up here in the clouds. And we're like, what are we talking about right now? Like, we're way up here, and we're going to bring it down to earth, but you've got to get this. So just focus your mind really hard right now, okay? So... If there is the truth, it becomes like this objective, the absolute truth. Underneath it, there are truths that are shifting. And I want to show you what I mean by that. They can be subjective, and I'm going to show you what I mean by that. The Bible, it talks about alcohol. And the Bible says alcohol is, could be a good thing, or it could be a horrible thing. Depends on the person. If someone could sit and have a beer with a friend and just enjoy the beer and enjoy their friendship, that's good. But 
as soon as the, if someone takes a sip of beer, as soon as it controls them, as soon as they can't stop, then it's bad. And the Bible would say, no, 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 no. You should not be, you should not be doing this. And I want to show you. Here, so here's what the, the, the truth, the big truth above all this is this. There's a creator and there's creation. And when you take something that's part of creation and go to it like it's the creator, it will destroy you. If you try to enjoy a beer more than you enjoy God, eventually that beer will destroy you. Eventually it will start controlling you. Eventually it will start ruling over you. And you want to escape from the problems of the world. And so instead of going to God, you go to drinking. And then look what happens. It swallows you up. Here's how you think about this. There's first things and there are second things. So a first thing is God. Second things is any part of God's creation. So if you keep first things first and second things second, you enjoy both God, the creator, and creation. But if you make second things first, then second things will destroy you. Because you're going to creation and you're trying to get out of creation what only the creator can give you. And you begin to be drained of joy and happiness because you're like, oh, this thing that I'm going to has to fill me up, but it can't do it because only the creator can do that for you. So, sex is a great thing. But, if you don't use sex the way God has called us to use sex, then eventually it will be harmful to you and eventually it will control you. So, the great question now, if you're tracking along with me, the great question is, if there is an absolute truth, how do we find it? Because that's really what we want. I mean, if there's an absolute truth, this is our quest. How do we find the absolute truth? How do we find it? And here's the answer. You can't. It has to be revealed. So again, Jesus says, I've come to bear witness about the truth. But look, he says, I've come to bear witness, meaning he has come to reveal the truth to us that we can't find on our own. The truth the truth that we can't see. Of God, of heaven, of love, of grace. See, this is the absurdity of Christianity. We believe in something that we can't see. And that sounds absolutely absurd. Why would a sane person do this? Because God revealed it. God, look, look. God reveals the truth, the truth by bending our reasons, by bending our desires to see him and the truth of him, that he's real, that he's come, that he loves us, that he's coming to do something about the world that we are in. Well, you say, okay, well, then why doesn't God just come and reveal himself now, show all of his glory? Well, one, he did come, and he came the way he came in disguise on purpose because he's rescuing us. But there's going to come a day where he unveils all of who he is and everything in that moment will be made right. This is the great hope of Christianity. We say, well, gosh, this just sounds crazy. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell you. It's crazy, but why do we believe it? Because God has revealed it to us. Not because we have intellectually ascended to believe it to be true. And even with the Bible, I mean, you never will believe the Bible to be true until God bends your mind and your desires upon it. And in the, in the scientific community, it's very common for, for people to look down their nose at people of faith. But sometimes, 
a scientist will break through the box of science and becomes a Christian. Here's what happened. They found that science and God are not actually in conflict. They've been told, the, the culture in the science community has been telling them that, but actually they found that's not actually true. The science and God go together, and, and they realize, you know what? Science is just a measurement of second things. Science is just a measurement of creation, but science cannot measure the creator. How could it? He isn't observable like his creation. So the scientist becomes a Christian, and then the rumors start going around. How did this happen? Oh, this person is sold out. What is going on here? Listen, the only instrument that will convince you that Christianity is true is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will take God's word and bend your mind and, and your heart to believe it to be true. And the Holy Spirit will take all creation around you. And instead of making you think, oh, this creation is everything, instead of it, the Holy Spirit will convince you, he will show you there's something greater than creation. The Holy Spirit will convince you there is more than what meets the eye. Of course Christianity sounds crazy. You can't prove it. You can't. You can't prove God or disprove God. He can only be found through the Spirit unveiling him to you. So let me explain how this works. So we live in this world, all right? So we live in this world, and this world is like a box. And we can't see anything outside of the box. But then the Creator comes into the box and comes into your life and convinces you that there's something more than what's inside of the box. There's something more than what beats the eye. And then here's what happens. You have now broken out of the box. And, and when you break out of the box, you realize there is life after death. There is eternity after the temporary. And there is freedom outside of the box of this world. There really is, despite everything. This is true. So here's how this normally works for me because I'm naturally a skeptical and curious person. So what has happened is, despite all of my skepticism, I believe Christianity to be true. But then here's what happens to me. I have doubt that creeps in. And I say, oh, what am I going to do with this doubt? And what I do is I go and I just, I just stare at the doubt. I'm like, okay, I've got to figure this out. And I, go to my, and I go to my reason. I said, no, you know what? Christianity makes more sense than anything else. So, so you go like this. You say, okay, I'm going to look at creation. All right. There's something. But before there was something, there was nothing. Well, then how could something come out of nothing? It can't. Okay, so there must be a God. Well, then, then I say, okay, well, I have all these desires. I have desires for God. I have desires for love. I have these desires for eternity. Where are these desires coming from? Well, if I have desires, nothing in this world can satisfy. I can only conclude I'm made for another world. So you take a fish. Why does a fish want to swim? Because there's such thing as water. Why are we hungry? Because there's such thing as food. Well, if I have desires that nothing in this world is satisfying, I must be I'm, I must conclude that I'm made for a world outside of the box. My longings are desperately trying to convince me that there is more to life than what we can see. But I 
I will never believe it to be true until the Holy Spirit convinces me that it is true. Well, then we take our guilt. Okay, well, why do we feel guilty about things? If I feel guilty, there must be a right and wrong. Well, then, then people say, well, your, your culture is just convincing you. Society around you is convincing you of what is right or wrong. But that, there might not be right. Well, that's true. But how does a society know that there is something that is right and something that is wrong unless there really is a right or wrong? Okay, so there is a right or wrong. And I obviously feel guilty, so I must have done something wrong. Well, what do I do now? Well... I really end up doing nothing. I have a God who's come and he's given his life for me on the cross and in order to wipe away all of my sins. So now I don't have to feel guilty anymore. So now I can be free from all of my sins and never feel guilt again. Oh, that sounds amazing. But okay, does this God care about me? Well, he just died for me, so he must care about me. All right, well, this is good. Well, okay, what about I fear death? Why do I fear death? Perhaps it's because I'm made for life with God. And God has come into the world in order to bury death into its own grave. But ultimately, all of these things, we will not believe them to be true until the Holy Spirit convinces us of the truth of it all. Things must be revealed to us by the one who wrote the story, the author of life. All right, so maybe you've been a Christian all your life, and I just, I just want to challenge us for a second. If, you know, if we're saying, oh, man, I've been a Christian all my life, let me ask this. Is your life filled with anxiety that isn't getting better? Or are you constantly feeling guilt and shame? Or do you have no peace about death? Or life in this world, that might have been the Holy Spirit over there. Sorry, pastor joke. That was lame. Okay, life in this world is filled with suffering. Is the suffering driving you towards God or is it driving you away from God? And through the suffering in the long run, have you seen growth come out of it? If you're a Christian and you're saying, I'm not experiencing any of those things, here's what I would say. The truth, the truth, has yet to become personal to you. Pilate wants to know if Jesus considers himself a king because Pilate is worried about a political upheaval that's upon him, but Jesus is not concerned as much about Pilate's career as he is concerned about Pilate's soul. And so he challenges Pilate and he says, yeah, Pilate, I am a king. But I'm a king who's come from outside of the box. I'm a king that's come from outside of this world. And I want to rearrange the things in your life. And I want to rearrange the things in your soul. Jesus makes truth very personal here. He's getting into the heart. He's getting into the soul of Pilate. While yes, there is an absolute truth. The question is, has this absolute truth become personal to us? Pilate runs out before letting Jesus say anything about his question. Pilate says, what is truth? And then he just hightails it out of there because he didn't want to know the answer to the question. Because here's what truth does. Truth comes into your life and it messes everything up. Truth comes into your life and whatever you're building starts taking it apart a bit. 
So Pilate's like, I got to get out of here before I hear the answer to this question. See, when the truth gets personal, it starts rearranging things and it's causing an upheaval. Pilate is concerned about the upheaval that's happening outside of him. But Jesus wants to cause an upheaval in Pilate's soul. He wants to rearrange the things that he loves. He wants to rearrange the things that he desires. And this is why, you know, this is why we stay away from truth because it changes us and we usually don't want to be changed. And that's why people usually will avoid Jesus until they are ready for change, until they become desperate for change. And it's then that they finally go to him and the truth of him becomes real. Truth is a king that must be listened to. So we would rather ignore truth because if we find it, and accept it. You know what it does? You know what truth does to us? It steals away our crowns. Truth is a king. And you can't negotiate with it. You can only submit to it. We prefer to bend the truth, but the truth, instead of letting the truth bend us. But the reality is, the truth can't be bent, so eventually we are bent. If there's a brick wall, and you are running from truth, but you're running straight towards a brick wall, but you're like, ma, truth, I'm bending it, it's going to be what I want, there's not really a wall there, and then you run smack into that wall, because you're ignoring the truth that is there. But if you will just say, yes, there's a brick wall right in front of me, I'm, I'm going to stop running, because I'm tired of getting all bruised up, and you stop, what you're going to find is there's a door that's kind of hidden in this brick wall, and on the other side of this door is freedom from the box that you are in. The truth, of the, the truth of the brick wall actually has now set you free because you've dealt with the reality of the truth and it's brought you to the door. Christ is called the door, by the way. Many of us, we'd rather just avoid the brick wall altogether, but eventually we gotta deal with it. And we like, here's how it goes, we like the idea of a loving God and a forgiving God, but we don't like the idea of a God who would tell us how we ought to live. Just because we don't like something, though, I want to I I say this with so much, like, grace, because like, I know, like, I know the pull to want to do things that you shouldn't be doing, but just because we want something to be true doesn't mean it is true. And that means, see, here's what it means. We're working off the assumption that we know better for our lives what God knows. But if we're seeing him as our creator, then it's the most obvious that if he's the creator, he knows best how we ought to live. Now, we could submit to that truth or not, but if we will come to the realization that he knows better how we ought to live than we do, then what's going to happen is we're going to start living more and more in line with the way we ought to live, and that means we're going to become more and more of the person we're made to one day become. You're going to become more and more of the you that you were made to be if you will just say, yes, God, teach me how to live. I don't want to be the king anymore. I want you to be the king. <laughs> okay, take this. God says, yes, it is true that wait until you're married to have sex. God says, just wait, just wait. And we're like, oh, man, 
that's bad news. I thought Christianity was good news. That's bad news for me right now. And so what we want to do is we bend the truth. Now, here's what happens. So here's what always happens. People finally get married. So, so before they're married, they're like, ah, sex for me, it's not a big deal. Okay, so then they get married. And about a year into it, especially if they're hanging out in the church, they say, you know what? I had it wrong. And they start telling everybody around them that isn't married, you should wait. And they're like, did you wait? And they're like, you don't, you don't want to learn from me. I mean, learn from my mistakes is what, what is said. See, what is happening is we are bending the truth for when it's convenient for us. You see that? That's what we do it all the time. And listen, I can give you all of the reasons why that is better for you to wait to have sex before, wait until after you're married. I can give you all of the logical reasons. I can give you all the repercussions, but sometimes you know what? Truth, the truth that God gives us, sometimes we just have to say, okay, God, I trust you. Like, I don't quite understand all the whys behind this, but I, I just, I know I need to trust you here with this. It's like God saying, just trust me here. And we're like, no, I don't want to. And we're like this little kid and there's a stove right in front of us. And, and you know, the parents say to the kid, don't put your hand on the stove. Now, immediately, what does that kid want to do? They want to go and touch the stove. Like that's, that's one of the worst mistakes I've learned as a parent. As soon as I tell my kid not to do something, his, their eyes just get so big. Like, okay, I'm going to do this and it's going to be awesome. So I tell, you know, don't, don't touch the stove. Well, the kid wants to touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. And Why? 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 Well, if you don't give a good enough answer, psh, that was a seared hand, right? If you didn't hear that. Psh. Okay. You see what I'm saying? We do this with God all the time. All the time. Sometimes God just tells us something and he wants to rearrange the way we're living because it's good for us. And he's not going to tell us why because he wants us to just trust him. Now, truth will change you more and more and more into who you are made to be if you will take hold of the truth and submit to the reality of it. And you'll become more of who you're made to be. But, but here's what's happened. All of us have been working off of these false truths, and here's what's happened. Because we have these false truths, we've laid a foundation of false truths. And then we've been building upon our foundation of false truths, putting other truths on top of it. And what happens is now we've got a foundation of false truths and then we come and we meet God and God's like, okay, I'm gonna rebuild you. And what he starts doing is he starts taking off the bricks because he needs to get down to the foundation to fix what's at the foundation. And every brick feels like it hurts. Every time we hear God say, don't do this anymore, we're like, ah. Oh. And it feels like he's ripping away something that's part of us because we have all of these truths that we've held onto and each truth becomes part of us. And when he rips apart the truth, it means that we're becoming more and more who we're made to be, but it hurts every single time. But he's getting to the core of us. He's getting to the bottom. He's getting to the foundation of who we are so he can rebuild us into who we're made to be. And it hurts, but it is good for us. God is refining us. So where is God calling you to change? And where is God using you to bring this truth of who he is, that he loves us, that he's coming to the world, that he's risen, that he's reigning, he's going to one day make everything right? Where is he calling you to proclaim that truth and to love people into believing that truth? Whether you bring him here or you're the one speaking this truth, how is God calling you to do these things? And you need to know this. You're going to never ever, ever submit to this truth 
ever, ever submit to this truth until you realize something about truth. Not only is truth personal, but truth is a person. See, truth can be like this abstract thing. We could be up in the clouds, like, but if truth is a person, then truth becomes a relationship that we're in. Truth becomes something that rearranges us. Jesus says, John 14, he says, I am the truth. He's a person, and he wants to be in a relationship with you, and he wants you to give himself he wants you to give yourself over to him. And we say, why would we do that? Because he has already given himself over for you. For your guilt, he's dealt with it on the cross. And he's wiped away every single one of your sins. So now you can just rest. Guilt, gone. We have a problem. Death. He's come to deal with death for us and bury it in the ground. He's given himself over to death so that we might live. And he's promised, the truth is that he has promised that one day he's going to make everything just the way it ought to be. And we suffer now and we aren't where we want to be now. But he promises that he's going to bring us there and he's in control. And he's doing things the way that he's doing them because he has a good end for you. And you say, we say, why? And he says, I'm not telling you right now. You just have to trust me. And we fight it until the Spirit reveals to us, ah, oh, this is true. I can trust my God because he's a God who's given his life for me. And that is a God I can trust. And then, if you will just give yourself over to him and ask him, get desperate. I mean, you've got to be desperate and say, God, reveal the truth of who you are to me. Then, if you are truly desperate, Holy Spirit will honor that. He will reveal himself to you. Partially, the Holy Spirit is the one making us desperate too. So the question is, are we desperate for truth? And a lot of times, I think the answer is no. We need to get desperate. And one of the best ways to show that we are desperate is by communion. Because what communion is saying is that, hey, we need a rescuer. It's the story of God coming to rescue us who are desperate for a rescuer. We can't do this on our own. Not in like a cliche way, but it's the, literally, this is the story of God, the true story of God coming for us. So I just want to pray to prepare our hearts. What we're going to do is we have communion in the back and we have wine and juice. The wine is a good thing unless you make it into an ultimate thing, which means you're just going to dip the bread into the wine or dip the bread into the juice. You're not going to take the wine as your own and bring it back to your seat because that is you letting the wine control you, okay? It's for you to share with others, to enjoy with others, okay? So we're going to have two songs. That means you don't have to all get up and go running back there, but here's what communion is. For during those two songs, whenever you feel led, go back, but here's what communion is. Communion, every step that you take is a declaration to you, to your heart, that you believe this story is true. 
Not because you've intellectually ascended to it, but because God has convinced you of the truth of it. All right, so we're going to pray. And we're going to pray, and as we're praying, I mean, we're going to pray not just for us, but we're going to pray for our city. We're going to pray that this communion, I mean, the idea of communion, it's nourishing us, and it's nourishing us so that, not just so that we can feel the love of God, but so that we can take that love out of here and bring it to bear in other people's lives, okay? So that's what, we're going to pray about all that stuff. So pray for the kingdom of God to come in your heart and the hearts of those around you. God, we pray right now that your glory, your beauty, your worth would not escape our minds and our hearts, that you would bend our thinking, that you would bend our reason towards you, that you would bend our desires towards you, so that finally we might find the God who gives us what nothing else in this world could give us, because everything in this world is part of creation, but you are the creator who's outside of the box. And so we want to find you, God, but we know that in order to find you, you must come to us. So come now, please. We invite you in to our heart. We invite you in to be with us so that we might taste the beauty of who you are. God, help us. And as we take hold of this truth, we pray that we would not hold it in for ourselves, but we would go out And we would help people walk in freedom from this box knowing that there is eternity after the temporary, there is glory after the suffering, and there is life after death. And God, as we come, we come knowing that we need to change. But at the same time, we come knowing that you love us and accept us no matter what. And that is our fuel for change. God, give us what we need right now. You know it more than we know it. Help us to believe that that is true. And anything that tries to steal the truth of you away from us, we ask that you would knock it away. So we'd finally, for the first time, or for the millionth time, discover or rediscover you in a whole new way. God, help us in our weakness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.